Blog Talk Radio. Folks, how are we doing? This is Andy Kimball here on Coast to Coast, the Ebony Irish Show, with our wrap-up of the Democratic National Convention held this week with a lot of uh, speeches and discussions and talks. and um, I guess they covered just about the whole gambit, uh, personal experiences and stories, uh, politics, the environment, racial injustice, the COVID virus. We talked about it all. And I think provided a, a general overall summary without getting into detail of, of what their what their direction might be and where they wanted to take this country. And I think uh, to um, get additional detail, you've got to go to JoeBiden.com. It's all spelled out there very clearly. And I, I th- I'm hoping that they made that clear during the convention because I know a lot of people said, well, they didn't give any detail. They just said, where would they like to go and what they want to do and all these idealistic things and, oh, everything's rosy and peachy if if Biden gets in. But where's the beef? Well, the beef is on the website, JoeBiden.com. So it's all spelled out clearly and thoroughly. Um, so go do that. I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the DNC. When I say that, I believe they really want you to, to check out. And, and you know, you look for Joe Biden's interviews. I'm sure there'll be many of them on various news sources between now and the debates on, of course, the election in November. So what we're going to do uh, in this episode, uh, Lloyd is going to be calling in, I believe. Um, and um, what we're going to do is uh, play uh, excerpts or summary um, of the final day, day four of the uh, Democratic National Convention. Uh, previous uh, days uh, this week on our show, we've we pretty much played the entire previous day's convention, and it's uh, you know the entire show. So this day today, we're going to shorten that a bit to allow some more discussion in your calls at five one five six zero five nine eight eight eight. We're pretty much going to wrap it up. Next week, folks, from Tuesday to Friday, we're going to be covering the GOP convention and doing the same thing. You know, we're, we're providing the news, providing discussion topics for the show and for you. And um, so we're going to give the GOP the same respect, the same courtesy that we've given the DNC uh, this week. And we'll talk about uh, the GOP's direction, what they've done the last three and a half, almost four years. And um, I guess over three and a half years at this point. And, uh, and where they might go over the next four years if if Trump does, in fact, regain the presidency for another four years. And we'll see what's going to happen in the Senate. That remains an unknown now as well. Of course, all the national polls, we've talked about that in the show. The national polls are showing uh, Biden significantly ahead. And no matter how you slice it, swap it, change one state for another, you mix it all up, you, you, you know, kind of mix the dice up in a shaker, you throw out again to see what the combination is. All those combinations, over 70% of the time of those dice throws out of 100, over 70% of them um, come out in, in Biden's favor. That doesn't mean that Biden's going to win the election by any means. And I know between now and the GOP's convention and the election, things will, in fact, tighten up uh, pretty significantly, probably. So we'll see what does happen. We don't know what's going to happen. And um, 
what I think we might do here is um, is is start. Um, well, I want to get your calls five one five six zero five nine eight eight eight, and we're going to see if we can get Lloyd here on the line. Bear with me for a second. Okay, I'm going to uh, get a call into Lloyd here and see if he uh, if he can get. Here we go. All right, uh, who we have calling in here? We're going to put that call on hold. We're going to put that call on hold. Okay, we're going to have some callers, and here is Lloyd Booker. I think he's joining the show right now. Let's see, Lloyd, are you with us here on Coast to Coast? This is the Ebony Ivory Show with Andy Kimball and Lloyd Booker. It's just Andy Kimball. Are you with us here? <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> there he is. How you spell? I'm gonna I'm read a book called How You How Do You Fake It on the Radio for for ten minutes. Anyway, <laughs> I, okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't leave you. I didn't mean to leave you hanging like that. But uh, yeah, I'm here now. So yeah, everything's groovy, man. Everything's cool in the gang. How you making out? Doing all right. Uh, doing okay. You know, I've been paying close attention to the uh, the DNC convention and all the speeches that went along with that all week long. And uh, we've we've uh, played a lot. As if you know, we've played the DNC coverage and played really every night of the convention in its yeah. entirety, just about all week long, as a courtesy to our listeners. And if anybody missed it, they can hit our website and click a link and hear hear any part of it they'd like to at any time, 24-7. And we'll, we'll provide, yeah. as I was saying earlier on the show, before you join us, we're going to be doing the same thing for the Republican convention next week. We'll be providing the GOP the same courtesy on the show. Um, but right. that's what I've been doing. And also, now, of now, course... Hmm? Go ahead. I'm sorry. So today is Friday... We've been doing that all all, all week uh, all week this week. So uh, yeah. for, for those that, that that wanted to check out any of the days and uh, see a plethora of the speeches and who made them, um, just archive and then tune in. And now that officially he's been, um, uh, er, I, I wouldn't say given, he's earned the nomination along with Camilla Harris. So it is official. Does, it's it, official. Yeah, it's 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 official. Um, yeah. Are we running any of that today too, as well? Yes, yes, we are. We're going to run uh, yesterday's. Uh, we've edited it down quite a bit, as opposed to the previous days. We pretty much just let let it run. But uh, last okay. night's show, we uh, we did edit out. We cut out a lot of the music and a lot of the humdrum and the pageantry, and cut it, you know, as best, best we can. Uh, cut it down to the uh, right to the chase. Um, and of course, uh, okay. Biden, Biden gave Biden gave a. Uh, an eloquent, probably, I think he hit a home run. I don't know if you heard it or not, or had a chance to hear it yet. But I've heard but some I, of it. I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I've heard. I've heard. Uh, I, I, I guess it would be the, uh, uh, the, the the cliff notes or what have you. And it seemed it seemed really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to check the whole thing out. But uh, yeah. So uh, how how much longer will it be before we actually stick that on for tonight? We're going to run. Uh, oh, we can go. I can play it. I've got it here, you know, queued up and ready to go. Um, okay. Actually, I don't. Actually, I don't yet. I don't. I don't have. I've just been notified. I don't. It will be. Give me a few minutes. Uh, uh, do me a favor. Well, because I we just we need to get it on right now because we were rapping. But as soon as you get it queued up, just let me know. And I'll let you know. Let do run. me a favor in the meantime because I want to. We have uh, listeners here and know that you're involved with this. Uh, and I have been totally oblivious and ignorant. You know how much I'm into sports in Philadelphia, my hometown teams, my hometown city. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Can you yeah. fill me in what's going on in Philly sports? I know we we're, we have listeners all over the world, and somebody listening to us right now in Australia probably doesn't care about the Philadelphia 76ers, but I do. And this is my show. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You can say it again. Yeah, and you can say it loud. And and, and don't mail him up and say no. But, uh, yeah, we, we got some people on here that might very well be, uh, you know, be Philly sports fan or Sixers fan. But yeah. let me – yeah. And I'm gonna give it to you straight, with no chaser. Uh, I know it hurts a lot of people to be losing to Boston the way they have lost. Um, I think it's gonna be a quick exit for the Sixers starting this weekend, and that's gonna be it. They're gonna be looking for a new coach, Brett Brown, next week. So yeah, and wow, that's been bad. wow, and, and, and you wow. gotta you gotta tell wait a minute, you gotta tell me when to stop now because I could go on and on about and bring up new stuff. First of all, Ben Simmons, uh, the supposedly transcendent forward, is out for the remainder. If you did not know, is out for the remainder of the uh, I did not know. playoffs, regardless, and probably is. I'm, I'm sorry, say it again. I did not know that. Yeah, he 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 had surgery on his knee. Mm. Surgery on his knee, mm-hmm. um, and and he's done. Uh, Embiid has been shouldering the load as out of shape as he is. And uh, Boston, I'm gonna tell you what happened. And I was watching the game, man. You should have seen it. They were dancing on him. I mean, they were dancing. You seen them dancing in their huddle. They actually embarrassed the Philadelphia 76ers. They they were dancing, they were laughing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Al Horford, the center that used to play for Boston, mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 coach of Boston was telling. I mean, you could hear him because uh, they're still playing in the bubble. You could hear him telling Jason Tatum, "Get him, get him, get him." It, it was embarrassing. Now, mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Flyers, they play in the night. They up three two. They win the day. They win the first, uh, the opening round playoff series. They lose today. They go into a do or death, die situation tomorrow for a seventh game. And this is the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, listen, I'm not going to fake the funk like, uh, you know, uh, like I would if I was, uh, uh, didn't know anything. I'm, uh, but I do know a little bit about hockey. And they, they are, I think what is happening is that by them being favored, to not only get to the Stanley Cup Finals, for those of us that uh, uh, are in the hockey up north and what have you, they know that they were favored. I think what has happened is is, is that the Flyers are reading their press. The young boy Carter Hart, that's the goalie. Yo, man, he's a true. That's right. I said it. Lloyd Booker, and we're probably going to play this on WIP. That boy Carter is the truth. Root, that's the back jack, and he's serious. But mm. The team is the, the the team is beginning to read their press. I think their heads have swelled. I mean, it's not that it's not that Montreal is a really really bad team. No, they're good, but they've let them get back in this to the point wherein it probably should have been over. But it's three two, and they're playing again tonight. So if they lose tonight, all bets are off for tomorrow, the seventh game. Now, with the Eagles. Oh, Eagles! Eagles started hitting, man. They they doing Here. they they open up training. Yeah, they 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 open up training camp. They started hitting live hitting. Um, so it looks like it looks like we're going to see a see a season of football. And like I said, they started hit. And by the way, the quarterback 
that they ended up picking in the draft? Yo, yeah. man, this dude looks, I forgot, Jalen, I think, this dude looks like the truth. Isn't that weird? I mean, here we already have Carson Wentz. We got the backup. It looks like this boy, they, that they got him for a reason. And everybody has been saying uh, he should be the th- you know the third guy and back. I forgot what the name of the uh, uh, the name of the backup is, but they said the way that this is going, they said if and we don't want to see Wentz get hurt, but if he goes down, the person that will get the nod before uh, before the backup would be would be the guy that they drafted. But mm. it looks good, yeah, it looks good, and for the Phillies. It's been listen. They're they're playing out this this whole season with the with the COVID. Uh, I think they're nine and ten or, or what have you, and they just won four in a row. So the press got off of, but now they just lost two in a row. So it's kind of up and down. It's up and down. They want to see you know want to see what they can do, but uh, it looks like the way that the penny pension owners own the team. They're not going to mm-hmm. sign Ria Muto, who is who is fantastic as a catcher. He's the number one catcher in the pros. They're not going to sign him. They said that the, pe- the people are saying that they're penny pinching, being cheap. So there you go, a little encapsulation of the well, flyers. I, the well, I, I, have, I, yeah. I know we've had playoffs, and, and I've seen my daughter have the TV on here occasionally, and then she's watching the Celtic Sixers, and I've, I'm oblivious to what's going on. All I, all I checked the score, and it looks like the Sixers were losing. All, they, is it over? Yeah, yeah, is don't it, say nothing. I won't say word. I won't say nothing. I won't say word. I'm done. Okay, <laughs> hey, good. Listen, yeah, like, don't say nothing. Because, let's get back in. Because yeah, I mean, I figure if, if I figure if I'm going to watch him, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with the ship. So I want to know what the deal is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I will say this, and this is national, international, and I don't want to go on. Charles Barkley, because I've been checking on TNT, and I do know Charles. I sent you some. Charles Barkley even said that. Uh, it don't look too good. <laughs> so, All right. So Seth Shaquille O'Neal and Kenny were laughing, but I guess, yeah. okay, I got to hear you. what's happening, but anyhow, go ahead. We got to move on here. Let's get on with today's show. Also, we've been. Uh, I'm in California. We've had incredible, like lightning strikes all over the place up north. A lot of wildfires. We're going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to go on with today's wrap-up show of the DNC right here on Coast to Coast. Folks, stay with us. We're going to come back and chat some more at the end. Here we go. Hey everybody, it's me, Kamala. So before I go on stage later tonight, I want to talk about the importance of voting. I know many of you plan to vote this year, but amidst the excitement and enthusiasm for this election, you've also heard about obstacles and misinformation and folks making it harder. Well, I confess this is not where I expected to be speaking here tonight. I'm about a mile or so away from one of over 370 wildfires that we're battling here in the state of California. Uh, we are just coming off a, a record week, a heat wave uh, that led to 130-degree temperatures, the uh, highest temperature ever recorded in California, arguably the world's history here in our state. The hots are getting hotter. The dries are getting drier. Climate change is real. If you are in denial about climate change, come to California. 11,000 dry lightning strikes. We had over a 72-hour period leading to this unprecedented challenge with these wildfires. This is an extraordinary moment in our history. Mother Nature has now joined this conversation around climate change. And so we, too, need to advance that conversation anew. Uh, Just today, 
the President of the United States, uh, threatened the state of California, 40 million Americans that happen to live here in the state of California, uh, to defund our efforts on wildfire suppression uh, because he said we hadn't raked enough leaves. You can't make that up. Nor can you make up the fact we're involved in over 90 lawsuits with the Trump administration on clean air, on clean water, on endangered species, on pesticides. There is so much at stake in this election, none more important than the work Joe Biden did with Barack Obama on the vehicle emissions standards, the fuel efficiency standards. It will save billions and billions of dollars, taxpayers, and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. There is so much at stake in this election. I couldn't help myself on my way to um, one of our uh, relief centers, one of our evacuation centers, just to jump out of the car uh, and just express my deep reverence, my admiration uh, to Joe Biden, to Kamala Harris, California's own to their faith, their devotion, their constancy, to their commitment, uh, not just to the environment, but to the Commonwealth, to our kids, our kids' kids, our grandkids, to our legacy. There is so much at stake in this election, and I just want to close by reminding each and every one of you, the future is not just something to experience, it's something to manifest. It's inside of us, not just in front of us. It's our decision, not our conditions that will determine our fate and future. So let us resolve that after this historic night, this incredible, incredible week, this remarkable convention, that we do everything in our power to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris into the White House in January 2021. America's an idea, an idea stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope. In this nation, we believe in honesty, decency, treating everyone with respect, giving everyone a fair shot, leaving nobody behind, giving hate no safe harbor, leading by the power of our example, not by the example of our power. That's allowed us to stand as a beacon to the world, being part of something bigger than ourselves. It's a code. It's a uniquely American code, the most powerful idea in the history of the world, the American creed that we're all created equal, I think beats in the heart of the people of this country. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what's so proud? Stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we've watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare, the bombs
something deep down within me, moving me, that I could no longer be satisfied or go along with an evil system. Life was extremely dangerous when we were growing up. John Lewis had the respect of everybody because he was the one who demonstrated the most courage. He'd been beaten and knocked down and get up and go to find another battle. John was focused on ending voter suppression. And it wasn't that he was a great orator, it's that he was a great spirit. The power of spirituality and humility and the willingness to suffer rather than to inflict suffering. One of the things that John has taught us is that, yeah, you may have to sacrifice, but if you're sacrificing for a cause, something bigger than you, bigger than you, and you really believe in it, then you will have people following you. We do not get meaningful legislation out of this Congress. We will march through the South, through the streets of Jackson, through the streets of Danville, through the streets of Cambridge, through the streets of Birmingham. I think he is the singular figure that has tried to carry out the work of our nonviolent campaigns into the halls of Congress. From day one, John Lewis was a role model for the members of Congress, whether they were freshmen or here a long time, because he brought with him a kind of heft, a weightiness of, of purpose. I got arrested a few times during the 60s. <laughs> Forty times. And since I've been in Congress, another five times. The means by which we struggle must be consistent with the end we seek. Someone who has navigated thorny issues of policy, not by castigating alone, but by also encouraging people to be better than they think they can be. Today we are considering a fair housing measure which not only protects our nation's minorities, but it protects the needs of those with disabilities and families with children. How long do we have to wait before we decide to ban assault weapons? We have another opportunity to bring more of our citizens into political participation. I have on my marching shoes. That's right. I'm fired up. I'm ready to march. And all of these decades later, while he and others of his generation achieved much, we're still fighting against police brutality and fighting for our voting rights. And so we best honor him by continuing to fight the good fights that he fought by staying in good trouble. Joe Biden shares John Lewis's belief that every vote matters. Personally, I plan to follow the example of six current cabinet members, Vice President Poonce and President Trump himself, and vote by mail. To find out everything you need to know about mail-in ballots, your polling place, or even just am I registered, text VOTE to 30330. 30330. That would be the president's golf score if he didn't cheat. Okay, look, I'll admit that was a little nasty, but 
We all know he's a cheater. And I'm proud to be a nasty, nasty woman. You know, when Donald Trump spoke at his inauguration about American carnage, I assumed that was something he was against, not a campaign promise. What we need now is great leadership, someone experienced and hardworking and intelligent, someone who understands the soul of the American people. I'm historian John Meacham. In his final Sunday sermon, days before his death, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are tied together in the single garment of destiny. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. A single garment of destiny. We the people cannot escape that reality. Nor, as Lincoln taught us, can you and I escape history. And we shouldn't want to, for many of us have been given much. Liberty, opportunity, a sense of possibility. The task of our time is to make sure those gifts are available, not just to folks who look like me, but to all of us. This is a grave moment in America. A deadly virus is ravaging us. Our jobs are evaporating. Our faith in the things that bind us together is fraying, for our democracy is under assault from an incumbent more interested in himself than he is in the rest of us. Extremism, nativism, isolationism, and a lack of economic opportunity for working people are all preventing us from realizing our nation's promise. And so we must decide whether we will continue to be prisoners of the darkest of American forces, or will we free ourselves to write a brighter, better, nobler story? That's the issue of this election, a choice that goes straight to the nature of the soul of America. Humankind has long viewed the soul as the vital center, the core, the essence of existence. The soul is what makes us, us. In its finest hours, America's soul has been animated by the proposition that we are all created equal and by the imperative to ensure that we are treated equally. Yet America is a mix of light and shadow. Seneca Falls and Selma and Stonewall dwell in the American soul, but so do the impulses that have given us slavery, segregation, and systemic discrimination. Often, we'd prefer to hear the trumpets rather than face the tragedies. But an honest accounting of who we've been can enable us to see who we should be a country driven by the best parts of our soul, not by the worst, a country informed by reason and candor, not by ego and lies, a country that's big-hearted, not narrow-minded. The struggle to be who we ought to be is difficult, demanding, and ongoing. Justice can be elusive, and change in America has been painful and provisional. The Civil War led to segregation, the New Deal to right-wing reaction, civil rights to white backlash. Yet history, which will surely be our judge, can also be our guide. From Harriet Tubman to Alice Paul to John Lewis, from the beaches of Normandy to the rending of the Iron Curtain, our story has soared when we've built bridges, not walls, when we've lent a hand, not when we've pointed fingers, when we've hoped, not feared. If we live in hope, 
we open our souls to the power of love. We've been taught to love our neighbors as ourselves. As individuals and as a nation, however, we fail at following that commandment more often than we succeed. But when we fail, we must try again and again and again, for only in trial is progress possible. From Jamestown forward, our story has become fuller and fairer because of people who share a conviction that Dr. King articulated on that Sunday half a century ago. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Bending that arc requires all of us. It requires we the people, and it requires a president of the United States with empathy, grace, a big heart, and an open mind. Joe Biden will be such a president. With our voices and our votes, let us now write the next chapter of the American story, one of hope, of love, of justice. If we do so, we might just save our country and our souls. Good evening. I'm Congresswoman Deb Holland. I'm grateful to be with you here on Indigenous land. The promise of this country is older than our Constitution. Over 500 years ago, thousands of Indian tribes were vibrant democratic societies with rich cultures and traditions and communities that had sustained them for millennia on lands they loved and respected. My people, the Pueblo Indians, migrated to the Rio Grande Valley in the late 1200s to escape drought. We were led to the Great River and its tributaries, where we established an agricultural tradition that continues to this day. My people survived centuries of slavery, genocide, and brutal assimilation policies. But throughout our past, tribal nations have fought for and helped build this country. There were those like my Laguna grandparents who worked on our country's railroad, and those like my mother, a Navy veteran who served this country with honor. I stand here today, a proud 35th generation New Mexican and one of the first Native American women ever elected to Congress. I'm a symbol of our resilience as the embodiment of America's progress as a nation. I know we can't take our democracy for granted, especially now as people are dying, as our land is abused, as our constitution is under attack. We must work for it by getting involved, by registering voters, by voting. Voting is sacred. My people know that. We weren't universally granted the right to vote until 1962, and that fundamental right is more important than ever. Whether your ancestors have been here for hundreds of years or you're a new citizen, know this. Whether we vote and how we vote will determine if our nation's promise of social, racial, and environmental justice will outlast us. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris respect our past and understand our present. They will see us through this crisis of leadership that is plaguing our country, and they will help us to build a better future. Thank you. The first year that I voted was 1974. 1967. I have not missed a general or a primary election in my 51-year voting history. No, I don't go to the polls anymore. 
the U.S. Postal Service does it for me. And now we're seeing our current president sabotage our right to vote, sabotaging democracy by trying to undo the postal system. My father worked for the Postal Service for 30 years. My mother worked for that local post office for 10 years. That job enabled her to feed her family. I am appalled at what the Republicans and the president are trying to do to subvert the vote. Nothing or no one will stop me from voting this election. We need to keep our mail system. We need Joe Biden. Where are they going? Where are these ballots going? Who's getting them? Who is not getting them? A little section that's Republican. Will they be stolen from mailboxes as they get put in by the mailman? Will they be taken from the mailmen and the mailwomen? Will they be forged? Who is signing them? Who's signing them? What, are they signed to the kitchen table and sent in? Will they be counterfeited by groups inside our nation? Will they be counterfeited maybe by the millions by foreign powers? Let me put this in my own words. I've heard Donald Trump say some pretty unhinged things. I've heard them over and over and over again. But nothing is more dangerous to our democracy than his attacks on mail-in voting during a pandemic. Okay, here's the truth. Donald Trump doesn't want any of us to vote because he knows he can't win fair and square. So whether you plan to vote by mail or in person wearing your mask, it is your vote and it's your right. Don't let Donald Trump take that away from you. For accurate, up-to-date voting information that you can trust, text VOTE to 30330. One more time, text VOTE to 30330. I'm Alex Padilla, California Secretary of State. And I'm Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan. Voting is the oxygen of our democracy. It decides elections, and elections change lives. That's why we've seen so many attacks on our right to vote, including many that specifically target working families, young people, and communities of color. Secretaries of state are responsible for running fair, accessible, secure elections where every vote is counted and every voice is heard. We serve on the front lines defending our democracy against any and all attacks, foreign and domestic. So let's talk about this election. Despite what he says, Donald Trump can't cancel it, but he and Republicans are making it too hard for so many to cast their ballots. And now he's attacking vote by mail to distract and confuse voters. And let's be clear, there is absolutely zero difference between voting by mail and voting absentee. Millions of Americans have been voting absentee for decades. Donald Trump, his family, his staff, they all vote by mail. In fact, in states like Colorado, Utah, and Oregon, voters have been voting by mail for years. Republicans and Democrats agree it is safe. But now Trump has admitted he's trying to sabotage the post office to undermine voting by mail. And we're not going to let him do that. Our job is to make sure everyone can vote safely, whether in person or by mail. And your job is to make sure you vote. And there's more. Once you've done that, talk to your friends and neighbors. 
spread the word. Tell everyone you know to text VOTE to 30330 for more voting options. If you're planning to vote from home, request and return your ballot early. And remind everyone you know to make a plan to vote. Don't let anyone keep you from exercising your most sacred right. Make your plan to vote. Grab your mask and head to the polls the first day they're open. Or request your ballot and send it in right away. And know this, election results may take a little longer this year, but Democrats will fight to make sure your ballot is counted. Because at the end of the day, the biggest role in preserving our democracy isn't ours. It's yours. Our family has a crazy history uh, with America, and it all starts with um, it being a beacon for, for immigrants. It's really cool being like part Polish and part Puerto Rican and also part black because I get to, you know, for me personally, I get to be this like melting pot of America. If you were an immigrant back then, come from an immigrant family, the Democrats brought you in. We are in danger of losing the meaning of this country. Every generation before us has had to fight for what they believe in, and it's just our turn now. I was so proud when I saw the uh, demonstrations that were going on across the country. This year's election means a lot to me because I feel like our generation is so motivated right now to make a difference. There's a lot of changes that we have to make, and I'm counting on Joe Biden, and I believe in him. I'm here because a union job lifted my family out of poverty and into the middle class. My grandfather left the Jim Crow South for Detroit, joined the UAW, and got a job on the assembly lines during World War II. That union job enabled him to support his family, raise my mom, and send her to Fisk University. That's the American dream. Together we work, together we rise. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris know the dignity of all working Americans. They know the urgency and the demand of our dream. But working people are under attack. The wealth gap grows, our middle class shrinks, and poverty persists. Last week, Donald Trump said, and I quote, our economy is doing good. While 40 million Americans are at risk of losing their homes, 30 million aren't getting enough to eat, and 5.4 million people have lost their health care because of this crisis. He has failed us. But still, I believe in the dream of our ancestors. Together with Joe and Kamala in the White House, we'll raise the minimum wage so no one who works a full-time job in America lives in poverty. Together, we'll fight for those who keep us healthy who keep us safe, who teach our children. We'll stand for those who cook and serve and clean, who plant and harvest, who pack, and always those who deliver, whose hands are thick with calluses, like my granddad's were, who lifted me high, who held mine when I was a boy. If he was alive, Joe and Kamala, he would be so proud of you. And he'd tell us, 
take another by the hand and another and let's get to work. This dream ain't free. You got to work for it. So like his generation, up and out of the depression, let's now work together and stand together. And America, together, we will rise. This is my team. You guys hey, build America, not Wall Street. You just build America. That's right. The Americans just want to live meekly, comfortable. I've got a wife that works as well. We've got a 17 and a 7-year-old at home, and, and, and we're still working, you know, thanks to our international executive board for getting with General Motors and making sure that it's safe for us to return back to work after eight weeks of being laid off. I mean, it, it's, it's a hoax at one point, and now here we are full-blown. Yep. Well, I tell you what, the future of auto workers in America, and I really believe this, can be as bright as it was back in the, in, in, in the late 40s and 50s. Yes. Simple reason. It's an iconic industry. It's an American industry. We made it. We made it. Yes. Thank you. It's been a very interesting 2020. I've been in the fire service 16 years and never experienced anything like COVID. Uh, we had to change our whole tactics the way we did our day-to-day. -day. And now, at a hurricane that just came in two weeks ago, and we were right almost right on the eye. And, I mean, we were doing things we never thought we'd be doing. Uh, water rescues in, with masks on, having to worry about COVID. It, it, was, it was interesting. How is your family doing? Well, I'm a single dad. I have a almost five-year-old who's in my world. And I'm very lucky that my parents are retired. My mom actually retired right after my daughter was born to help us with her. And she was so looking forward to pre-K, going to the big school, like she says. And then unfortunately, all this COVID came in and now it's all gonna be online schooling, which I'm fortunate, I have my parents, but I do have a lot of guys that are double income families and they're just trying to figure out how they're gonna do it with their kids. What, how, what arrangements are they gonna have to make since they're not gonna be going to school, it's gonna be online. It's two people in my household. Um, I have a family of two, and we have grown-up kids that are no longer in the household. But it takes two people to build. Uh, we have an ongoing goal of a, a five-year goal of buying a house in the next five years. So um, hopefully we'll save, save, save. Look, everybody, you talked about the middle class. The fact is that the way middle-class people generate wealth overwhelmingly is building up equity in their home. And that's what gets passed on from one generation to the next, the equity in a home. You know, the middle class is continuously taking hits. And one of the reasons why we're on this call is we realize how important it is to have you in the White House. We, uh, we need a comprehensive energy policy for renewable resources, which I know you have one. And if we're going to build the middle class, it's about the jobs. The future really rests on investment. We're going to be investing $2 trillion in infrastructure, ports, bridges, highways, making sure that we have access to do things that really make a difference, like what you're doing at solar facility outside of Harrisburg. You know, I'm a Scranton boy. You know, central Pennsylvania is okay, but, you know, northeast. <laughs> <laughs> so keep the faith, guys. Right. Okay? Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank, thank you, you. Thank you. I know it's not typical for a former Surgeon General to speak at a convention. Surgeons General are appointed by presidents, but our work isn't about politics. Our highest duty is to the public. Our true guide is science. 
And our job is to speak the truth about public health, even when it's controversial or perceived as political. So here's the truth. Our nation absolutely has what it takes to overcome the COVID-19 pandemic that's claimed tens of thousands of our loved ones. We have the talent, resources, and technology. What we're missing is leadership. We need a leader who works with states to ensure that everyone who needs a test gets one and gets results quickly. A leader who secures a safe, effective vaccine and distributes it quickly and fairly. A leader who inspires us to practice distancing and wear masks, not as a political statement, but as a patriotic duty, a commitment we make to one another. That's why I'm here tonight, not because of politics or for party, but because I know Joe Biden can be that leader. I've worked with Joe Biden. I've seen who he is with no cameras around, how he sits with people in their pain and holds them in his heart, how he pours over COVID briefings, asking smart questions, letting science guide his way, just as he did when managing the Ebola crisis. And six years ago, when Joe Biden met my family, many of them immigrants awed to be in the nation's capital, I saw how he kneeled beside my grandmother's wheelchair, took her hands in his, and said, thank you for choosing us, the United States of America, as the place to trust with your family. Tonight, as a father, son, and grandson, as a doctor who swore an oath, and as an American who loves my country, I can tell you that Joe Biden is the man I trust to look out for my family and the leader I know will heal this nation. Hi, I'm Senator Tammy Baldwin. When I was nine years old, I got sick, really sick. I was hospitalized, but since my grandparents were the ones raising me and our family's health plan didn't cover grandkids, they were forced to pay out of pocket for my three-month hospital stay. I got better, but the insurance companies didn't. They refused to cover me at any cost because I was marked child with a pre-existing condition. We all have stories like this, stories about a time when the system was rigged against us, when we were counted out, left out, pushed out. Just think of what we've heard these past four days. Healthcare professionals who don't have the protective gear they need, young people whose asthma will get worse as our air quality does, workers who are afraid of losing their jobs. Each story begs this simple, fundamental question, a question that gets to the heart of the choice in this election. What kind of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a country where millionaires get to dodge taxes or one where working families get a break? Do we want to be a country where medical bills bury people in debt, or one where health care is affordable for all, or where tens of thousands of people die from a virus, or where the American dream lives? I think we know the answer to that fundamental question, because most of us want the same things. Good schools in our neighborhoods, racial justice, the freedom to love who we want, dignity in our work, and an economy where small businesses and working families thrive. 
And over the past months, we've added another to that list, a nation free from COVID. That's why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the only answer in this election. Trust me, they are. You see, there's another part of my story, the part where I ran for office, the part where I served in Congress, the part where I worked with Joe Biden and Barack Obama to make sure kids and grandkids, if they're dependents, can stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26. We got that done. And yes, it was a big effing deal. That's the America I know. That's the America I love. And that's the America we will be with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House. A nation that plans. A nation that builds. A nation that builds back. Say it with me there at home. A nation that builds back better. Here in Wisconsin, our state motto is just one word, forward. This November, let's move forward and never look back. Thank you. If you want to help Joe and Kamala make sure that America stays strong and united, please go to JoeBiden.com and contribute anything that you possibly can. Tonight, I couldn't be prouder to be a loyal union member, a passionate climate activist, and a patriotic Democrat, or as Donald Trump will call me in a tweet tomorrow, a washed-up horse face no talent has been with low ratings. Well, with all due respect, sir, it takes one to know one. And now I'd like to introduce you to a real American hero, World War II veteran, Ed Good. I am Edward Good. I'm 95 years old. I'm a veteran of World War II and of Korea. When I wear a uniform, I wear only two badges, my parachute wings and the combat infantry badge. I did make one combat jump over the Rhine in Germany, and I'm proud of that. I have been a Republican since the 1960s. I'm a member of the NRA, and uh, I voted for Trump. I think Trump has, has been the, the worst president we've ever had, so I'll be glad to see him go. I think Joe Biden will be a great leader for the United States. Like me, on the day of my jump into Germany, I think Joe Biden cares about doing his proper duty for the United States. And if he's elected, that's what he will do. This year's election is very important. Probably be the most important election we've had in years. I recommend strongly, based on the division in this country created by our current president, Donald Trump, we need to put somebody else in the White House that's going to bring us together. Now, let me just explain something. I've been a long-standing Republican for a long time, and I'm telling you, you got to vote for Joe Biden. You have to. I don't think we can deal with the type of person we have in the White House any longer. So it's up to you, America, and me, 
because in this election, I'm voting for Joe. I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure he's going to help us bring this country together once again. My name is Lakeisha Cole. I met my husband 20 years ago when we started dating while I was in college. Once I graduated from college, we eloped. Two weeks after that, he deployed. This is what I wanted to do. You know, you love this country. Are you willing to do the hard work it takes to maintain it? What was supposed to be a six-month deployment actually turned into 11 months. There was nothing really to prepare me as a new military spouse on how to deal with the stress. When people get married, they expect to grow old with each other. With multiple combat tours, there's no guarantee of any of those things. They're just a, a long laundry list of uncertainties that we have to juggle. You know, Joe has always cared about military families. They've been through so much. When I went to Iraq, one of the generals said, you know, I want to share this story with you. In his daughter's class, it was a Christmas program, and they were playing the Ave Maria. And one of the little girls burst into tears. And the teacher ran over and said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she said, that's the song they played at my daddy's funeral. He died in the war. The teacher had no idea that that little girl's father had fought in the war and had died. And that night, I said to my staff, I'm a teacher. We can do better. We've got to do better to help our military kids. The Bidens have a track record of helping military families, and we've seen it with the work that they've done with joining forces and how they were able to, you know, rally a country behind us. Men and women, we send to war to defend our nation. Care for them and their families while they're gone, and care for them and their families when they come home. It was the very first time that I, as a military spouse, felt like someone was listening to us and someone cared. It's not just the service member who serves, the entire family serves as well. Joe said we have one sacred obligation, to take care of our military members. During this pandemic, for sure, so many veterans have lost their jobs. So many military spouses have lost their jobs. That's one of the things that will be a priority in a Biden administration. We will make sure that all Americans have health care, employment, the things that families need to thrive. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time, and we know exactly who Joe is. He is the best candidate for America, not just for our families, but for all families. Good evening, I'm Tammy Duckworth. When I first enlisted in the Army, I was eager to serve my country, yet anxious whether I'd be able to earn my way into the ranks. But I earned my wings and later commanded my own air assault unit, learning that serving and leading in the military is both a privilege and a sacrifice. To be a commander, you must always put your troops first, 
because one day you may order them to sacrifice everything for our great nation. To do that, leaders must command their troops' respect and be worthy of their pledge to protect and defend our Constitution no matter the cost. But military service doesn't just take sacrifice from those in uniform. It's required from their families, too. My husband, Brian, was the one who rushed to Walter Reed after I was wounded in Iraq. He was the one holding my hand, waiting for me to wake up. And when I finally did, he was my rock, getting me through those hours, weeks, months of unspeakable pain and unending surgeries. He was my anchor as I relearned to walk, helping me through every step and every stumble. Our military spouses hold their families together, praying for their loved ones' safety wherever they're deployed and serving as caregivers to our disabled service members, and then picking up the pieces and starting again whenever the next tour or the next war arises. Joe Biden understands these sacrifices because he's made them himself. When his son, Bo, deployed to Iraq, his burden was also shouldered by his family. Joe knows the fear military families live because he's felt that dread of never knowing if your deployed loved one is safe. He understands their bravery because he has had to muster that same strength every hour of every day Bo was overseas. That's the kind of leader our service members deserve, one who understands the risks they face and who would actually protect them by doing his job as commander-in-chief. Instead, they have a coward-in-chief who won't stand up to Vladimir Putin, read his daily intelligence briefings, or even publicly admonish adversaries for reportedly putting bounties on our troops' heads. As president, Joe Biden would never let tyrants manipulate him like a puppet. He would never pervert our military to stroke his own ego. He would never turn his back on our troops or threaten them against Americans peacefully exercising their constitutional rights. Joe Biden would stand up for what's right, stand tall for our troops, and stand strong against our enemies. Because unlike Trump, Joe Biden has common decency. He has common sense. He can command, both from experience and from strength. Donald Trump doesn't deserve to call himself commander-in-chief for another four minutes, let alone another four years. Our troops deserve better. Our country deserves better. If you agree, text more to 30330 to elect Joe Biden, a leader who actually cares enough about America to lead. Good evening. I'm Bo Biden. And Joe Biden is my dad. Some voices are never silenced. Some work never ceases to change lives. Some people never stop inspiring, even after they're gone. Bo Biden was a husband, father, brother, son, soldier, attorney general. He was given just 46 years on this earth. He did in 46 years what most of us couldn't do in 146. Think about the day that dawns for children who are safer because of both, whose lives are fuller because of him. Think about the day that dawns for parents who rest easier and families who are freer because of him. Some folks may never know that their lives are better because of Bo Biden, but that's okay. Certainly for Bo, a claim was never the point of public service. If you knew Bo, you knew he lived by the strictest code of honor, duty, service, 
country. You never had to ask if he would do something the right way. He didn't know any other way. Bo didn't cut corners. He turned down an appointment to be Delaware's Attorney General so he could win it fair and square. When the field was clear for him to run for the Senate, he chose to finish his job as AG instead. After 9-11, he joined the National Guard. He felt it was his obligation. He did his duty to his country and deployed to Iraq. Bo Biden served his country in battle. He prosecuted one of the worst child predators in American history. And even though he is no longer with us, every day he still inspires the next president of the United States. It won't be possible for me to be here this fall. So I have something to ask of you. Be there for my dad, like he was for me. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I was absolutely terrified. One of the first people who called me was Joe. His real warmth and kindness on that call, man, I gotta say, it made me cry. Our current president has made me cry too, but it's never had anything to do with his warmth or kindness. Joe Biden's empathy is genuine. You can feel it. That's why President Obama asked Joe to head up the cancer moonshot. President Obama knows what we all know. Joe Biden understands suffering and loss and sacrifice. Mayor Pete Buttigieg also knows something about sacrifice. He volunteered and was deployed to Afghanistan, then returned home to Indiana to become a highly effective public servant. Say hi to Mayor Pete. Good evening. Bo Biden lived a life of service, in office and in uniform. When you put your life on the line for this country, you do it not because it's the country you live in, but because it's a country you believe in. I believe in this country because America uniquely holds the promise of a place where everyone can belong. We know that for too many and for too long, that promise has been denied. But we also know America is at its best when we make that circle of belonging wider. Just over 10 years ago, I joined a military where firing me because of who I am wasn't just possible, it was policy. Now, in 2020, it is unlawful in America to fire someone because of who they are or who they love. The very ring on my finger, a wedding we celebrated, here where I'm standing, reflects how this country can change. Love makes my marriage real, but political courage made it possible, including that of Joe Biden, who stepped out ahead even of this party when he said that marriage equality ought to be the law of the land. There is a long way to go, but if this much can change between 2010 and 2020, imagine what could change between now in 2030. Imagine what we could achieve, this coalition we are building this very season, gathering progressives and moderates, independents, and even what I like to call future former Republicans, standing for an America where everyone belongs. 
Joe Biden is right. This is a contest for the soul of the nation. And to me, that contest is not between good Americans and evil Americans. It's the struggle to call out what is good in every American. It's up to us. Will America be a place where faith is about healing and not exclusion? Can we become a country that lives up to the truth that black lives matter? Will we handle questions of science and medicine by turning to scientists and doctors? Will we see to it that no one who works full-time can live in poverty? I trust Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to guide us toward that better future because I've seen up close their empathy and their capacity, just as I've seen my fellow Americans' capacity to support and include one another in new ways and do better by the promise of America. The day I was born, the idea of an out candidate seeking any federal office at all was laughable. Yet earlier this year, I campaigned for the presidency, often with my husband Chaston at my side, winning delegates to this very convention. Now I come to this convention proudly supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, joining fellow Democrats who were squaring off in competition just a few months ago. A number of us recently got together to talk about the Joe we know. Hi, I'm Cory Booker. Welcome to everybody at home. I am very excited to present to you a group of people that ran in the 2020 Democratic primary against Joe Biden. You could think of this sort of like survivor on the out interviews of all the people that got voted off the island. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie, don't you laugh because I got a question for you. Like, why does my girlfriend like you more than she likes me? But let's, let's move she's on. Because than you, and that's the obvious answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'm curious because uh, Senator Sanders and Senator Klobuchar, you actually served with uh, Joe Biden in the Senate. I'm wondering if you have any memories of what he was like as a colleague in the Senate. Well, I remember one uh, night when I was giving one of those floor speeches, and Corey, you know what this is like. No one was there. No one was watching. I was all alone, and I gave my speech, which much bigger, uh, to a completely empty chamber. And I walked out of there, and I thought, I wonder if my mom was even watching this on C-SPAN. <laughs> and at that moment, the cell phone rings, and I actually thought maybe my mom was watching it on C-SPAN. <laughs> and you know who it was? It was Joe Biden. And that kind of goes to not only his kindness for calling me and being a mentor, but it also goes to how much he cares about our government and what people are saying, and that even when he's at home at night, he's watching and he cares. But, Amy, we all want to know, did your mother watch the speech? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the steak fry when, when we were waiting to go on? It worked out to where I was there the same time he was. And he pulled me aside at one point, and he pointed to somebody who we both knew who was working on my campaign, uh, but he'd known from before, and let me know that that, that was somebody who'd gone through a, a family tragedy that, that Joe somehow knew about, and just thought it was important for me to know that uh, about uh, someone who was working with me. And I, I thought, you know, over time I realized that that was just uh, basic to who he is, but that always stuck with me. Elizabeth, do you have any uh, remembrances as well? I think the day I saw Joe the clearest, was on the one-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. 
And everyone, of course, was enormously honored to have the vice president here. But at some point in that speech, he shifted to the parent who had lost a child, to the man who had lost a wife, to someone who had experienced loss very personally. And he spoke to each of the families from the heart. That's phenomenal. I want to ask, uh, what gets you excited about uh, this idea of the inclusion of big ideas uh, from all over the, the party uh, into the future, into the next administration? The, the magic of Joe Biden is that everything he does becomes the new reasonable. If he comes with an ambitious <laughs> plan to address climate change, all of a sudden, everyone's going to follow his lead. You can see it with him choosing Kamala, too. He wants to build the best team. Let's do it together. That's how we're going to rebuild this country. Corey, I'm, I'm so optimistic about our country right now, despite some very dark days for a lot of our fellow Americans, in large part because of what young people are doing right now. Uh, after the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, young people, by and large, led these protests, and they did so in the absolute best traditions of this country, in the tradition of John Lewis. My, my optimism and, and my faith in this country is reflected in, in those young people and the way that Joe and Kamala are listening to them and incorporating their ideas and their urgency into the campaign that they're running and the administration that they're going to lead. And I also think some people who say they don't know if they're going to vote or, vote or not uh, are saying that from a point of privilege that a lot of Americans don't have. There are so many things for lots of folks who live life on the margins that this election is going to decide. And maybe it's not a life or death issue for you, uh, but we are all in this together. Absolutely. Corey, what I would say is that uh, this is clearly the most important election in the modern history of this country. And Joe Biden, you have a human being who is empathetic, who is honest, who is decent. And at this particular moment in American history, my God, that is something that this country absolutely needs. And all of us, whether you're progressives, whether you're moderates or conservatives, have got to come together to defeat this president. Thanks for that, Bernie. I want to thank you all for joining us for this segment. I mean this sincerely. It was an honor to run against you. And it is even a greater honor to stand with you in support of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Good evening. I've never been much for partisan politics. I've supported Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Hell, I've actually been a Democrat, Republican, and independent. It's all about people. And the two people running for president couldn't be more different. One believes in facts, one does not. One listens to experts, the other thinks he knows everything. One looks forward and sees strength in America's diversity. The other looks backwards and sees immigrants as enemies and white supremacists as allies. Here's another difference. One has proven he knows how to handle a crisis by helping to lead the economic turnaround after the 2008 recession, while the other has not only failed to lead, he has made the current crisis much worse. When confronted with the biggest calamity any president has faced in the modern era, Donald Trump spent the year downplaying the threat, ignoring science, and recommending quack cures, 
which let COVID-19 spread much faster than it should have, leaving hundreds of thousands needlessly sick or dead. He has failed the American people catastrophically. Four years ago, I came before this very convention and said, New Yorkers know a con when we see one. But tonight, I'm not asking you to vote against Donald Trump because he's a bad guy. I'm urging you to vote against him because he's done a bad job. Today, unemployment is at historic highs, and small businesses are struggling just to survive. It didn't have to be this way. Before I ran for mayor, I spent 20 years running a business I started from scratch. So I wanna ask small business owners and their employees one question, and it's a question for everyone. Would you rehire or work for someone who ran your business into the ground and who always does what's best for him or her, even when it hurts the company and whose reckless decisions put you in danger and who spends more time tweeting than working? If the answer is no, why the hell would we ever rehire Donald Trump for another four years? Trump says we should vote for him because he's a great businessman. Really? He drove his companies into bankruptcy six times, always leaving behind customers and contractors who were cheated and swindled and stopped doing business with him. Well, this time, all of us are paying the price, and we can't let him get away with it again. Donald says we should vote for him because the economy was great before the virus. Huh? Biden and Obama created more jobs over their last three years than the Trump administration did over their first three. And economic growth was higher under Biden and Obama than under Trump. In fact, while Biden helped save one million auto industry jobs, Trump has lost 250,000 manufacturing jobs. So when Trump says he wants to make America great again, he's making a pretty good case for Joe Biden. Look, our goal shouldn't be to bring back the pandemic economy. It should be, as Joe says, to build it back better. Joe's economic plan will create clean energy jobs that help fight another crisis that Trump is ignoring, climate change. And Joe will rebuild our crumbling roads and bridges, something Trump has incessantly talked about doing. But in the last three, three and a half years, he hasn't done anything. What a joke. And let me tell you a little secret. Donald Trump's economic plan was to give a huge tax cut to guys like me who didn't need it and then lie about it to everyone else. Well, Joe will roll back that tax cut that I got so we can fund things our whole country needs, like training for adults who have lost jobs and making college more affordable and investing in American research and development so that the products of tomorrow are made today by American workers. You know, growing up, I was taught to believe that America is the greatest country in the world, not because we won the Second World War, but because of why we fought it, for freedom, democracy, and equality. My favorite childhood book was called Johnny Tremaine, about a Boston boy who joins the Sons of Liberty at the dawn of the American Revolution. At the end of the book, Johnny stands on Lexington Commons and sees a nation that is, quote, green with spring, dreaming of the future. That's the America I know and love, and that's the America we are in danger of losing under this president. 
So let's put an end to this whole sorry chapter in American history and elect leaders who will bring integrity and stability, sanity and competence back to the White House. Joe and Kamala, go get them for all of us. We can help you find the best and safest way to vote in your state. Simply text VOTE to 30330 to learn more. 30330, it's actually not that hard to remember. Watch. Person, woman, man, camera, TV, 30330. Anyone can do it. I want to introduce you now to a young man who Vice President Biden met earlier this year in New Hampshire and helped to find his voice. Say hello to Braden Harrington. Hi, my name is Braden Harrington and I'm 13 years old. And without Joe Biden, I wouldn't be talking to you today. About a few months ago, I met him in New Hampshire. He told me that we were members of the same club. We, we, stutter. It was really amazing to hear that someone like me became vice president. He told me about a book of poems by Yeats he would read out loud to practice. He showed me how he marks his addresses to make them easier to say out loud. So I did the same thing today. And now I'm here talking to you today about the future, about our future. My family often says when the world feels better before, before talking about something normal, like going to the movies, we all want the world to feel better. We need the world to feel better. I'm just a regular kid, and in a short amount of time, Joe Biden made me more confident about something that's bothered me my whole life. Joe Biden cared. Imagine what he could do for all of us. Kids like me are counting on you to elect someone we can all look up to. Someone who cares. Someone who will make our country and the world feel better. We're counting on you to elect Joe Biden. The first time I met Joe, I was really new at my synagogue, and I had to do a funeral service and a shiva, and towards the end of the service, the door opens up, and this person who was much younger than these octogenarians who were there walked in the room. It was our U.S. Senator, Joe Biden. He was just very respectful, and he stayed in the back, and his head was bowed in reverence. And at the end, I, I said, Senator Biden, like, why are you here? Because how does a nice Irish Catholic boy know from Shiva? And what he said was just so lovely. He said, this dear lady gave $18 to my campaign from the very first time I started in 1972. So he wanted to show his respects by saying thank you. And that just blew me away. You guys might have thought we were smaller. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Ryan Donner interview, take one. No, no, this is good. So what do I know about your grandfather? <laughs> um, he's always eating ice cream. Usually it's like Probably vanilla, yeah. vanilla with chocolate sprinkles. With chocolate sprinkles. Vanilla on a regular night. No, no, chocolate chip no, yeah, Chocolate and the briars that have half chocolate, half vanilla. He likes ice cream in hidden ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eating Rather it like in the freezer yeah. so that he like my grandma doesn't the freezer. see. He like hides it. How often does he call you? Like every day. Yeah, every day. Like if we don't talk to him for like a day. He'll ask what's wrong. Yeah, he'll yeah. think we're like, not a lot. He always calls with the same energy, even after he's just done 15 interviews in a row. Hi, Pop. I was just talking about you. I don't necessarily pick up every day, but I have a lot of voicemails. He will pick up our calls no matter where he is. He'd be like on stage giving a speech, and we'd call him, and he'd be like, what's wrong? Is everything good? And he'd be like, just no. Yeah. <laughs> what does the word family mean to you? It's a lot of time together. It's like yeah, I don't we've, really know we've grown up together. He's made sure that every single tradition, every holiday, we're all together. I don't think that there's been any decision, no matter how big or small, yeah. that we haven't decided as a family. Pop told us that this election would be totally different from any other election ever. He was worried how it would affect his kids. Whether or not we wanted to go through another campaign and be scrutinized by the press. There had been talks of a big meeting coming. It's normally called by the parents, I would say, but this time it was called by me. I came down from Penn and Maisie came up from D.C. and my cousins lived down the road. He thought we were calling a meeting sort of to like discuss, you know, whether or not we wanted him to, but really we were calling it to be like, get in that race, hurry up. We just knew that he had to run, and we weren't going to take no as an answer. At the end of the day, I think we're all very happy we had that meeting. All right, well, when you get back there, give me a call. So tell me how the whole thing went, okay? Okay, I will. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Who better to introduce our nominee, Joe Biden, than his children? I'm Hunter Biden. And I'm Ashley Biden. Joe Biden is our dad. And Bo is our brother. We want to tell you what kind of president our dad will be. He will be tough. And honest. Caring and principled. He'll listen. He'll be there when you need him. He'll tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. He'll never let you down. He'll be rock steady. The strongest shoulder you can ever lean on. He'll beam with pride every time you succeed. He'll make your grandkids feel that what they've got to say matters. He'll treat everyone with respect, no matter who you are. He'll get up no matter how many times he's been knocked down. He'll be the worst enemy any bully ever saw. He'll be the best friend you've ever had. He'll love you with all of his heart. And if you give him your cell phone number... He's going to call it. How do we know? Because he's been that way our whole lives. He's been a great father. And we think he'll be a great president. Bo isn't with us any longer. But he is still very much alive in our hearts. And we can still hear his strong voice. Just like it was yesterday. Just like it was yesterday. In 2008 and 2012, he introduced our dad at those conventions. And if he was here, we're pretty sure we'd know what he'd say. So before we show you a film about our dad's journey, 
We wanted to give Bo the last word. Bo? Bo, take it away. In moments both public and private, he's the father I've always known, the grandfather my children love and adore, my father, my hero, Joe Biden. office in 2009, we were going through what was then the worst financial and economic crisis since the Great Depression. The economy was hemorrhaging hundreds of thousands of jobs a week. People were losing their homes to foreclosure. The financial system was in tatters. Auto sales had dropped to near zero levels. The auto companies faced bankruptcy. And many said, let them fail. But Joe remembered his father and what it meant to lose a job. The Finnegans and Bidens were Irish Catholic. Joe was their first. From the moment I opened my eyes, my big brother was there. The thing that was most important was family and family and family. As the post-war boom faded, Joe's father struggled to find work in Scranton. But 140 miles south, there was a job cleaning boilers in Wilmington. There was a long stairway up to the second floor. Dad went up to Joey in our bedroom and saying, Joey, you got to be a big boy. For the first time, Joe saw the heavy burden on a father, and it was a lesson he would never forget. The job is a lot more than a paycheck. It's about dignity. The country was losing tens of thousands of jobs a day, and they needed three votes to pass the economic rescue package. Joe Biden was handled the task of going to get those three Republican votes. Joe returned to the place where he had been so effective. Passionate argument, a sympathetic listening, a willingness to make adjustments and accommodations to bring people on board. When the law finally passed, the president tapped his partner to run the program. Joe tracked every dollar, calling mayors and governors talking to them on the phone, one-on-one. He gave all of them his cell phone. And I watched him bring his heart to that job. It matters that you have in your mind the family that you're trying to reach, the neighborhood that you're trying to reach, the people whose lives are affected by what you do. The skills that had made him so effective had not come easy. 
When he entered school, there was a problem. Joe had a stutter. And it's mortifying. It allows that child to become an object of ridicule. When his teacher mimicked him and Joe ran home from school, his mother drove him back. Did you say to my son, Mr. Biden? The nun said, I was just trying to make a point. My mother stood up, all five foot two of her. If you ever talk to my son like that again, I'll come back and rip that damn bonnet off your head. Do you understand me? Joey, go back to class. Joe resolved to overcome his stutter. Some letters are harder than others. And I used to get up at night and go stand in front of the mirror with a flashlight and practice. She'd make me look her in the eye, look at me. Remember, Joey, you're the smartest boy in that class. Nobody's better than you, Joey. From having to deal with stuttering, it gave me insight into other people's pain, other people's suffering. At 19, Joe sought out a summer job that few of his peers considered taking. He was a lifeguard along with the black lifeguards. That's when I first seen Joe, and we became friends. It was one of the best things I've ever done because it gave me a sense that we really didn't know one another. After Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, riots broke out in Wilmington, and the National Guard stayed for almost a year. I quit the law firm and asked for a job to become a public defender. That's what sort of got me involved in politics. J. Caleb Boggs was a popular war hero in a solidly Republican state, and few took Joe's campaign seriously. In Delaware, the Democratic Party was non-functional. When it got time to put up a candidate, they didn't want to touch it. This young upstart, Joe Biden, who had a lot of ideas and no money, no influence, the party said, okay, well then go ahead, Biden, give it a whirl. That's all I can ask. Just look at you. Like what you see, help me out. If not, vote for the other fellow. Look me over if you would. You know, we'd have a coffee and we'd come out of that, we'd have five more coffees. He was very articulate on the issues. He, he brought people to say, not just that, well, I agree with what you're doing, is, you know, what can I do to help? Delaware is uh, the first state. J. Caleb Boggs, who is the incumbent Republican, being challenged by Joseph Biden. Biden is a Democrat who's 29 years of age. But exhilaration soon turned to tragedy. I mean, it was clear he had decided that I'm not going to be a senator, that the boys need me too much. I was prepared to walk away in 1973. But men like Ted Kennedy and Mike Mansfield and Hubert Humphrey and Fritz Hollings and Danny and Owen, they convinced me to stay. To stay six months, Joe. Remember, Danny? To stay six months. He couldn't allow the suffering to debilitate him. That's like he couldn't allow the stuttering to define him. That's the backbone. There is something bigger than Joe's suffering. The Senate turned out to be a wonderful place for him. He had a real gift for bringing people together. The three of them had a bond that was forged in sorrow and expanded into joy when Jill entered. They had built this beautiful family, this circle of trust 
and then the extra gift of Ashley. Growing up, it was full of adventure, laughter. We knew everything as a family, and we've always done everything as a family. He was always a good, loving father. I mean, there's nothing more important to Joe than his children. It's hard to explain how ever-present he was in our lives. You don't have to guess what my dad believes. A great benefit of being my father is that he doesn't have to contort himself into different people at different times. Bo was going to do fine things. I mean, he had it all. And then he got The whole world tilted, and it felt like we were all falling off. Once again, Joe faced the unimaginable. My mother, she said, bravery resides in every heart, and someday it will be summoned. The way he survived losing my mom and my sister, and then losing my brother, is understanding that that you have to have purpose. Every day I get up, I ask myself, I hope he's proud of me, because that's the thing that makes me move on. From his time in the Senate and then the White House, Joe always found a way forward, forging unlikely friendships and alliances. And time after time, he made progress possible and always holding in his heart the struggles of his family and every family, always fighting to make his country whole. It's a very rare quality to bring your empathy skills to the process of governing. Joe Biden never forgets that that's the point of moving the wheels of government. He will keep his word. He will reach out and hear what other people have to say. To have somebody who believes in what's best in us, somebody like Joe Biden who actually believes in the American idea, that's the kind of person who uh, I want in the White House. Good evening. Ella Baker, a giant of the civil rights movement, left us with this wisdom. Give people light, and they will find the way. Give people light. Those are words for our time. The current president has cloaked American darkness for much too long. Too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. And make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat. And I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility, I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. But while I'll be a Democratic candidate, 
I will be an American president. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me, as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. That's the job of a president, to represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love, hope for our future, light to see our way forward and love for one another. America isn't just a collection of clashing interests of red states or blue states. We're so much bigger than that. We're so much better than that. You know, nearly a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt pledged a new deal in a time of massive unemployment, uncertainty, and fear. Stricken by a disease, stricken by a virus, FDR insisted that he would recover and prevail, and he believed America could as well. And he did, and we can as well. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. Winning it for the generous among us, not the selfish. Winning it for workers who keep this country going, not just the privileged few at the top. Winning it for those communities who have known the injustice of a knee on the neck. For all the young people who have known only America being rising inequity and shrinking opportunity, they deserve the experience of America's promise. They deserve to experience it in full. You know, no generation ever knows what history will ask of it. All we can ever know is whether we're ready when that moment arrives. And now history has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America has ever faced. Four, four historic crises, all at the same time. A perfect storm, the worst pandemic in over 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s, and the undeniable realities and just the accelerating threats of climate change. So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? I believe we are. We must be. You know, all elections are important. We know in our bones this one is more consequential. As many have said, America is at an inflection point, a time of real peril, but also of extraordinary possibilities. We can choose a path of becoming angrier, less hopeful, more divided, a path of shadow and suspicion, or, or we can choose a different path and together take this chance to heal, to reform, to unite a path of hope and light. This is a life-changing election. This will determine what America is going to look like for a long, long time. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. Who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be, that's all on the ballot. And the choice could not be more clear. No rhetoric is needed. Just judge this president on the facts. Five million Americans infected by COVID-19. More than 170,000 Americans have died. By far the worst performance of any nation on earth. 
More than 50 million people have filed for unemployment this year. More than 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance this year. Nearly one in six small businesses have closed this year. And this president, if he's reelected, you know what will happen. Cases and deaths will remain far too high. More mom and pop businesses will close their doors, and this time for good. Working families will struggle to get by. And yet the wealthiest 1% will get tens of billions of dollars in new tax breaks. And the assault on the Affordable Care Act will continue until it's destroyed, taking insurance away from more than 20 million people, including more than 15 million people on Medicaid, and getting rid of the protections that President Obama worked so hard to get passed for people who have 100 million more people who have pre-existing conditions. And speaking of President Obama, a man I was honored to serve alongside for eight years as vice president. Let me take this moment to say something we don't say nearly enough. Thank you, Mr. President. You were a great president, a president our children could and did look up to. No one's going to say that about the current occupant of the White House. What we know about this president is if he's given four more years, he'll be what he's been for the last four years. President takes no responsibility, refuses to lead, blames others, cozies up to dictators and fans the flames of hate and division. He'll wake up every day believing the job is all about him, never about you. Is that the American you want for you, your family, your children? I see a different America, one that's generous and strong, selfless and humble. It's an America we can rebuild together. As president, the first step I will take will be to get control of the virus that has ruined so many lives. Because I understand something this president hasn't from the beginning. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan or almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. We lead the world in confirmed cases. We lead the world in deaths. Our economy is in tatters with black, Latino, Asian American, Native American communities bearing the brunt of it. And after all this time, the president still does not have a plan. Well, I do. If I'm your president on day one, we'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. We'll develop and deploy rapid tests with results available immediately. We'll make the medical supplies and protective equipment that our country needs. We'll make them here in America so we will never again be at the mercy of China or other foreign countries in order to protect our own people. We'll make sure our schools have the resources they need to be open, safe, and effective. We'll put politics aside. We'll take the muzzle off our experts so the public gets the information 
They need and deserve honest, unvarnished truth. They can handle it. We'll have a national mandate to wear a mask, not as a burden, but as a patriotic duty to protect one another. In short, we'll do what we should have done from the very beginning. Our current president has failed in his most basic duty to the nation. He's failed to protect us. He's failed to protect America. And my fellow Americans, that is unforgivable. As president, I'll make you a promise. I'll protect America. I will defend us from every attack, seen and unseen, always, without exception, every time. Look, I understand. I understand how hard it is to have any hope right now. On this summer night, let me take a moment to speak to those of you who have lost the most. I have some idea how it feels to lose someone you love. I know that deep black hole that opens up in the middle of your chest and you feel like you're being sucked into it. I know how mean and cruel and unfair life can be sometimes. But I've learned two things. First, your loved one may have left this earth, but they'll never leave your heart. They'll always be with you. You'll always hear them. And second, I found the best way through pain and loss and grief is to find purpose. As God's children, each of us have a purpose in our lives. We have a great purpose as a nation to open the doors of opportunity to all Americans, to save our democracy, to be a light to the world once again, and finally to live up to and make real the words written in the sacred documents that founded this nation that all men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, my dad was an honorable, decent man. He got knocked down a few times pretty hard, but he always got back up. He worked hard, and he built a great middle-class life for our family. He used to say, Joey, I don't expect the government to solve my problems, but I sure in hell expect them to understand them. And then he'd say, Joey, a job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's about your place in the community. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay and mean it. I've never forgotten those lessons. That's why my economic plan is all about jobs, dignity, respect, and community. Together we can and will rebuild our economy. And when we do, we'll not only build back, we'll build back better. With modern roads, bridges, highways, broadband, ports and airports as a new foundation for economic growth. With pipes that transport clean water to every community. With 5 million new manufacturing and technology jobs, so the future is made in America. With a healthcare system that lowers premiums, deductibles, drug prices, by building on the Affordable Care Act, he's trying to rip away. With an education system that trains our people for the best jobs of the 21st century, there's not a single thing American workers can't do. And where cost doesn't prevent young people from going to college 
and student debt doesn't crush them when they get out. But the child care and elder care system that makes it possible for parents to go to work and for the elderly to stay in their homes with dignity. With an immigration system that powers our economy and reflects our values. And with newly empowered labor unions. They're the ones that built the middle class. With equal pay for women, with rising wages, you can raise a child on, a family on. And yes, we're going to do more than praise our essential workers. We're finally going to pay them, pay them. We can and we will deal with climate change. It's not only a crisis, it's an enormous opportunity. An opportunity for America to lead the world in clean energy and create millions of new good-paying jobs in the process. And we can pay for these investments by ending loopholes, unnecessary loopholes, and the president's $1.3 trillion tax giveaway to the wealthiest 1% and the biggest, most profitable corporations, some of which do not pay any tax at all. Because we don't need a tax code that rewards wealth more than it rewards work. I'm not looking to punish anyone. Far from it. But it's long past time the wealthiest people and the biggest corporations in this country paid their fair share. And for our seniors, Social Security is a sacred obligation, a sacred promise made. They paid for. The current president is threatening to break that promise. He's proposing to eliminate a tax that pays for almost half the Social Security without any way of making up for that lost revenue, resulting in cuts. I will not let that happen. If I'm your president, we're going to protect Social Security and Medicare. You have my word. One of the most powerful voices we hear in the country today is from our young people. They're speaking to the inequity and injustice that has grown up in America. Economic injustice, racial injustice, environmental injustice. I hear their voices. If you listen, you can hear them too. And whether it's the existential, existential threat posed by climate change, the daily fear of being gunned down in school, or the inability to get started in your first job, it will be the work of the next president to restore the promise of America to everyone. And I'm not going to have to do it alone because I'll have a great vice president at my side, Senator Kamala Harris. She's a powerful voice for this nation. Her story is the American story. She knows about all the obstacles thrown in the way of so many in our country. Women, black women, black Americans, South Asian Americans, immigrants, the left out and the left behind. But she's overcome every obstacle she's ever faced. No one's been tougher on the big banks and the gun, and the gun lobby. No one's been tougher in calling out the current administration for its extremism, its failure to follow the law, its failure to simply tell the truth. Kamala and I both draw from our families. That's where we get our strength. For Kamala, it's Doug and their families. For me, it's Jill and ours. I've said many times, no man deserves one great love in his life, let alone two. 
but I've known two. After losing my first wife in that car accident, Jill came into my life. She put our family back together. She's an educator, a mom, a military mom, and an unstoppable force. If she puts her mind to it, just get out of the way. <laughs> She's going to get it done. She was a great second lady. And I know she'll make a great first lady for this nation. She loves this country so much. And I'll always have the strength that can only come from family. Hunter, Ashley, all our grandchildren, my brothers, my sister, they give me courage. They lift me up while he's no longer with us. Bo inspires me every day. Bo served our nation in uniform. A year in Iraq, a decorated Iraqi war veteran. So I take very personally and I the profound responsibility of serving as Commander-in-Chief. I'll be a president who will stand with our allies and friends and make it clear to our adversaries the days of cozying up to dictators is over. Under President Biden, America will not turn a blind eye to Russian bounties on the heads of American soldiers. Nor will I put up with foreign interference in our most sacred democratic exercise, voting. And I'll always stand for our values of human rights and dignity. I'll work in common purpose for a more secure, peaceful, and prosperous world. History History has thrust one more urgent task on us. Will we be the generation that finally wipes out the stain of racism from our national character? I believe we're up to it. I believe we're ready. Just a week ago yesterday was the third anniversary of the events in Charlottesville. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Remember seeing those neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists coming out of the field with lighted torches, veins bulging, spewing the same, same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. Remember the violent clash that ensued between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. And remember what the president said when asked? He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. It was a wake-up call for us as a country, and for me, a call to action. At that moment, I knew I'd have to run, because my father taught us that silence was complicity. And I could never remain silent or complicit. At the time, I said we were in the battle for the soul of this nation. And we are. You know, one of the most important conversations I've had this entire campaign, it was with someone who was much too young to vote. I met with six-year-old Gianna Floyd the day before her daddy, George Floyd, was laid to rest. She's an incredibly brave little girl. And I'll never forget it. When I leaned down to speak to her, she looked in my eyes and she said, and I quote, Daddy changed the world. Daddy changed the world. Her words burrowed deep into my heart. 
Maybe George Floyd's murder was a breaking point. Maybe John Lewis is passing the inspiration. But however it's come to be, however it's happened, America's ready, in John's words, to lay down, quote, the heavy burden of hate at last. And then the hard work of rooting out our systemic racism. You know, American history tells us that it's been in our darkest moments that we've made our greatest progress, that we've found the light. And this dark moment, I believe we're poised to make great progress again, that we can find the light once more. You know, many people have heard me say this, but I've always believed you can define America in one word, possibilities. The defining feature of America, everything is possible. That in America, everyone, and I mean everyone, should be given an opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. We can never lose that. In times as challenging as these, I believe there's only one way forward. As a united America, a united America, united in our pursuit of a more perfect union, united in our dreams of a better future for us and for our children, united in our determination to make the coming years bright. Are you ready? I believe we are. This is a great nation. We're a good and decent people. For Lord's sake, this is the United States of America. And there, there's never been anything we've been able to accomplish when we've done it together. The Irish poet Seamus Heaney once wrote, history says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme. With passion and purpose, let us begin, you and I together, one nation, under God, united in our love for America, united in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say... Well, folks, that wraps it up. That wraps up the uh, that wraps up the Democratic National Convention for the 2020 election year, and we wish uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris all the very, very best. I thought the Democratic uh, National Committee did a fabulous job in uh, putting this program on this week. I thought the the roll call was exquisite. I thought Michelle Obama was exquisite. I thought that uh, Barack Obama was exquisite. I think Joe Biden hit the ball over the fence. I can't imagine what the Republicans are going to do. How how they possibly, after Biden's speech, going to come back now and say Sleepy Joe? I don't think so. It's like, what's wrong with this picture? We'll see what they do, and we're going to give them the same courtesy. We're going to be covering the Republican National Convention next week. Monday is our day of discussion because um, – the convention starts on Monday. We won't have it to play for you till Tuesday, obviously. So, um, so we're going to talk about the, the Democrats' uh, strategy, uh, what your feelings are regarding the speeches, um, 
and all of that, everything occurred this week. We do know that uh, um, the post office service said they're not going to make any changes to after the election. However, they did remove about 680 mail sorting machines that they said they're not going to be putting back. Um, so they made changes, you know, and they're going to. And now uh, Trump also decided that today, he didn't decide, he said that he's going to uh, call on local sheriffs, on the, the military, to be at all the uh, voting booths and polls to make sure there's no fraud. What He has no authority to do so whatsoever. He can't dictate what local sheriffs do. I think the guy has totally lost his mind. He's, this is a, this is, he's trying to run this country like he's a dictatorship. He's got to go, folks. He's got to go. And I'm trying to be as objective. I'm trying to find if there were sweet spots, if he indeed did build the, the biggest economy in our nation's history, which he did not. If he, if my life benefited, I think if your life benefited, the only thing I see in this country is more hate and more division and, and, and 10.2 million people unemployed and a coronavirus that's beating all of us out of control. Um, so that's what I see under this administration. He cannot lead. He's not fit to lead. He doesn't know how to lead. And he's got six failed businesses before he came in to try to, to ruin this business, which he's already done a great job of. All right, enough said. Folks, we're going to call it a day, and I really appreciate you tuning by. If you don't like what I have to say here, then I do invite you to uh, um, uh, email us at andyandloydshow at gmail.com. Uh, call in on Monday at 5 o'clock uh, California time, 8 o'clock uh, East Coast time, 515-605-9888. My name is Andy Kimball. This is the Coast to Coast Show with Lloyd Booker and Andy Kimball, the Ebony and Ivy Perspective. And uh, we'll be uh, back with you on Monday. Trying to think if there's anything else I have to add. Oh, we can wait till Monday as much as I can go on. Oh, my gosh. Even what happened yesterday. yesterday. Amanda, Amanda Love. Amanda Love. Thank you. And that Amanda Love will be on the show. Thank you, Cornell, our producer, of course. Um, and, and one more other ahead. thing. Our Instagram is at the Andy at the Andy and Lloyd show. If you want to follow us on Instagram. Andy, what is it? And the, the Andy and Lloyd show. The Andy and Lloyd show is our Instagram. See, I didn't even know that, folks. See that? The Andy and Lloyd show is our Instagram. And our email is andyandloydshow at gmail.com. And if you want to get hold of our producer directly and just tell him what a horrible job we're doing, so he fires us and maybe, maybe he'll hire you, uh, you can email Cornell at <laughs> no. CornellButler2 at gmail.com and say, these guys suck. Where did you get these guys? Holy smokes, they're so they're liberal. Say, I love them. I love them. Love them. <laughs> <laughs> fire these guys. They're horrible. And uh, if you think we're horrible and if you don't like what we have to say and you can back it up with verifiable information and facts that we can check on, you know, if you if you dispute something we say, something that we talk about, a headline that we reveal here that you think is false and you could uh, prove otherwise with, with verifiable documentation and or audio clips that you can send us um, or video, uh, hey, we'd love to talk to you, hey, but don't call us up. Hey, and and to- Andy, you forgot to talk about the Go Fund. The Go Fund. Uh, we yeah well hey folks our goal is to put the show on SiriusXM and to expand our current U.S. base to do that uh, so we do have a uh, GoFundMe and go to uh, Block Talk Radio search for the Coast to Coast Live or Ebony and Ivory Show the Andy and Lloyd Show any of them will do it and you'll see a link to our GoFundMe account we appreciate you uh, you know your two dollars your two cents uh, adds up it does add up and we're looking to yes, brand the to give us more visibility here before we take the show to a larger platform. Well, we hey, we love Block Talk Radio. We thank them for the opportunity. We're looking for bigger and better on, on terrestrial radio or satellite radio, whatever it might be. So 
anyway, that's our plan. Whether it works or not, we don't know. We're going to give it a shot. We like what we do. We hope that you find what we do to be very beneficial. And uh, I think we're ready to call it a night and wish everybody a very pleasant, happy, healthy weekend. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. You know, social distance, all that good stuff, and we'll all be we'll be okay if we all do that. Of course, a lot of yes. people won't end up sick or dead. So that is the truth of the matter. I hate to be so blunt, but it's a, it's a fact. But it's real. <laughs> it's real, man. It's real. We, that's what we do here. This is a Cornell. We're real here. You know, and, yes. and so many sports media, and I'm going both sides of the fence here, but it is just so biased as to their spin. They'll cover what they want to to meet to it as long as it fits within their perception of the world, their agenda. But well, we, we don't do that. We, we go, you know, and we scan all the headlines and we, and we figure the headlines is what the same headlines that you read and hear and we discuss them and, and, and first we fact check them. Are they real? Is they put it in our perspective. <laughs> yeah, in our perspective, which means Trump's got to go. Anyway, aside from that, uh, <laughs> um, aside from that, yeah, we, that's what the show's all about. And it's about you and your opinion. It counts here. We want to hear from you. And um, if you're hearing this portion of the show, that means our broadcast time has expired, but this is a link that you clicked. That's the only way you're going to hear this part of the show. This is the after show. So for me, back to my margarita. What are you drinking, Cornell, there, who just came back from Georgia? I'm drinking hey, great Jack Daniel. Jack Daniel, you better give me some sponsor. We Give us some sponsorship for me saying that on air. Jack Daniel. Jack Daniel. Hey, hey, listen, and uh, I'm, I'm drinking uh, margarita, and I get all my uh, – my beverage goods here at a chain store, which I found when I moved to California called Total Wine, and it is just the most – it's like a Walmart of incredible prices and an incredible selection of every wine and alcoholic beverage and mixer you can think of and beer. What's the uh, name of the margarita? Uh, Andy's. Andy's Margarita. I kind of spent concoction. <laughs> Andy, you listening. Hey, send us some more. Yeah. <laughs> Say Andy some more. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, folks, um, have a healthy, safe weekend. And I'm um, trying to think if there's anything more to say. There, um, I don't know. We'll see what the weekend uh, brings. We have the GOP definitely. to look forward to and next weekend. Their big party is going to go on week uh, all week. I just can't imagine what they're go- how they're going to come back against what the Democrats yes. have done. And I'm just being objective. I normally do not like these conventions in the big halls. And the, Madam Speaker of the great state of Illinois, you know, but, uh, call three votes for whatever. And it goes on. Well, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. written with applause lines built in. Here's where they applaud. Here's where they applaud. Blah, blah, blah. These movies. And I thought that this this convention, so to speak, the way it was presented online, was very, very well done. And I think it's better than any convention I've ever seen on TV. And if it were up to me, I would say, you know what? This is how it should be done moving ahead, COVID or no COVID. It, it was, I don't think it was engaging. Uh, the speeches were more for, fireside chat than they were these big calls uh, aimed aim at getting uh, applause. You know, you really felt like you were being spoken to one on one. Nick, and if, Nick, you know, as well as it, uh, Roosevelt was it with the fireside chats? I might be wrong about that. I think it was Roosevelt. But anyway, um, it was very personal. I think uh, personable. I think all the all the uh, the speeches that were given were direct. You felt them. Um, uh, Joe Biden, I just was outstanding. Barack Obama is probably the most articulate and one of the brightest presidents we've ever had. And a lot of folks say, "Oh, a black guy, the black guy," you know. And then, you know, it's just hmm. and for those who think no, there, there was no racism. Nah, nah. Well, come on, give me a break. You know, of course there was. <laughs> At his inauguration, the Republicans had a behind closed doors meetings at which uh, uh, John McCain was there, and he talked about it afterward. 
he was there and he spoke about it, where they had decided the day that he became president in 2008 that they were going to just give him a hard time and not put through anything he wanted. Um, you know, come on. Black guy, black guy. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on in this country. It's unbelievable that such racial divide still exists, even though it got swept under the carpets in the 60s. We thought it was behind us. Hey, we got to fix it. We we got we got a lot of woes in the world to heal on this program, there, Cornell. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And and we will we will do our best to address them and talk about them and get them in the press and encourage your conversation and you know and get you to stand up, um, you know, and just be you know mad as hell um, and not take it anymore as we play on the show yes. all the time. Yes. I'm not going to take this anymore. Damn straight. Damn straight. You told me. You bet. You bet. Anyway, so we're running over here on the show, and we can go on forever. So what are you having for dinner tonight? (laughs) Well, I'm definitely. I think I'm gonna have me some um, some waffles. Something different. Yeah, well, I've got you know my daughter makes waffles homemade from scratch the other day, and I got some left in the fridge. I think I'll do the same. They're delicious. Breakfast are, food is the best. Oh, it is. And she made them with like a, she chopped up some um, yellow or, or orange, um, you know, pepper and onions Ooh. and things and, you know, put that in the pan and uh, had some uh, vegan sausage, put it all together with, with syrup, with the waffles. And uh, amazing, amazing. My, yeah. You know, she graduated USC, but man, can she cook. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with telling the truth. We remember, y'all. We state the facts. <laughs> we do. You want to come down to food? <laughs> Bet. Amanda didn't join us tonight. Did you talked to Amanda today. I was looking for her. Maybe she was going to well, get there. Um, I did. I did talk to Amanda today. Uh, um, tonight, she said basically we was going on Monday. She'll be on Monday and all the stuff she was going on okay. from work radio show. Yeah, and listen, you tell her, because I know that we're on the air awfully late for her. I think 1 o'clock in the morning in the U.K. when we go on the air, and I know it's late for her, 1 to 2.30. And um, and if she, you know, tell her, to, tell her there's no pressure, no rush. We always enjoy her input and love her to be on the show, but there's never any pressure on our part, whatever she wants to do and, and can do, uh, given the time frame. Well, I think I think she hears you. <laughs> I think she hears you. Right now. <laughs> well, listen, um, so listen, Cornell. I'll talk yes. to you over the weekend. Have a good weekend. Welcome back from you Georgia. Too. Was this, you were safe down there? I know Georgia just went through a horrible. Oh my gosh, it was it was incredible. It was, I was safe down there, but I've seen a lot of things that you know I didn't agree to. But you know, we'll talk to we'll talk about that on a um, different um, show. All right. How was the flying? How was the flight? The flight, the flight was great, man. The flight was Good. great. I wish you was the pilot, though. But oh, <laughs> the I flight was pilot. great. It would have been a pleasure, I'm sure you. It, it was great. It was, um, it, it it was fine, you know. Real nice, real nice. It's it just get, getting get going to the peach, you know, going to the peach state and seeing Georgia, the southern hospitality. It was great. The yeah. food, everything oh, yeah. was great. I sent you some pictures and everything so you could check out. Yeah. So basically. You know, when next next time when we have a, you know, we'll put some pictures up for the viewers and everything, so they can see how. If you've never been to Savannah, Georgia, you see some great stuff. Well, I had overnight in Savannah, Georgia. I spent when I was a pilot. I had layovers there. Oh my gosh, it's yes. beautiful, man. I think you were you were in Savannah or Atlanta. You were in Atlanta this trip. I went to Atlanta, then basically I flew. We flew out to um, 
well, actually, we drove for three and a half hours to Savannah. And, you know, Savannah. It was it was tough, but it was an experience, you know. But it was it was it was awesome when I got there. Her mom cooked me some, um, you know, some great food, some southern food, and you know, peach peach knob. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, wow, it was, it was, it was good. Now, now I'm back. Right. And I'm back up north eating um, Kentucky Fried Chicken again. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm having some borscht and some uh, kreplachs. Kreplachs. What's that? What's that? Kreplachs is a Jewish, uh, like a pancake. It's like a potato pancake. Oh, wow. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You got to try it. Explain. While we, you know, while they listen, explain the um, the ingredients. Just in I case anybody wants to. Oh, you don't know? It just, it just tastes good. <laughs> right. at, 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 which I, we don't really, you know, we're not, we're not religiously Jewish and raised our kids. You know, our kids can decide whatever they want it to be, but we laid it out for them and they are atheists as well. They didn't have to be. We did send them to a synagogue for a while. We went to a, a folk shul, which is, a, which is the Jewish children's folk shul. It's a synagogue with no mention of God and no rabbi, but it teaches you the, the cultural significance of being Jewish, of which there is, which there is great course. cultural significance. Yeah, um, I should know. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> You're Jewish too. I know. Cornell is Jewish as well. And uh, so yeah. we both know that. We both share that. Um, Shalom. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so my, my kids are, are atheists, and I married into a big Catholic family. That's another story. We'll talk about that someday. Oh, my gosh. That's a real – you know what? That's a that's another story because I want to it talk is. to you about – oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I married into a family where, where my wife's parents say – and some of her siblings say grace before every meal. You know, and we don't do that in our house in our where we are, and we don't raise our kids that way. And we, well, then you go to grandpa's house, and they're saying grace, and what do we, hey, dad, what do we do? What does this mean? And, you know, out of yeah. respect, you do what they want. You're, these are grandparents. Yeah, my parents, you know, yeah. parents, they so it's the same that they raised the Baptist church, and before we eat and everything, like, you know, Thanksgiving and all that stuff, they didn't really know what the real situation was. But right. But they'll pray. But now... Yeah. Hey, I just, you know, when the food get on the table, I just eat. <laughs> you, you and me both. You and me yeah. both. Well, we got to do this more often. I like this chat. This is this is more entertaining to me than talking about news. So listen, um, we'll uh, we'll do this. We'll get on the show on uh, on Monday. We'll go maybe an hour and a half and have time just for some casual chat and get get people calling in for casual chat. Chat. You know, how were you raised? Yeah. Are you? Uh, did you marry into a different religious background than you were brought up with? How'd it go? Um, all sorts of things we can talk about on Monday. You know, let's leave it open. It'll be open calls. Open yeah, forum you, can, you, can be, you can be whatever you want to be, even if you're a um, yep. Luciferian or fate, whatever. Call in. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk sports, I know I wanted to catch up on the sports world. Of those of you who heard, you probably didn't hear the beginning of the show, but if you want to, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, but Lloyd caught me up on the uh, Philadelphia 76ers Boston Celtics deal because I'm from Philadelphia and none of the playoffs and not doing too well. So. <laughs> Anyway, my point being is we can talk sports, we can talk religion, we can talk marriage, we can talk divorce, we can talk about extracurricular activities both in marriage and um, in school, and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's everything is open. There is no we don't we don't have any closed yeah. matter here. You want to talk, yeah. you know, whatever it is you want to talk about, we can do it. And I won't, I won't be want, specific. If you want to talk about, you know, your guy being a rock, if that's what yeah. you that's your opinion is. Please call and why you think your God is a rock. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You bet. 
You bet. I think we're going to make that like a Monday thing. I think I think going ahead, I'm just thinking out loud here, that maybe Mondays yeah. we, should, we should open up just like totally free-form discussion whatever anybody wants to talk about anything, whether it's news or Definitely. not. Definitely, man. Let's do it on Monday. Start promoting that yeah. on Mondays. Why not? Okay? Why yeah. not? And for those Why of you not? who are listening to this link, who clicked the link and you're hearing the show this far into it, you're probably enjoying this part of the show more than you did the DNC. Anyway, um, you know, remember our numbers five one five six zero five nine eight eight eight, and call us on Monday. Let us know what's on your mind, and uh, you know, really, really, Monday. We're on every day next week because of the convention. We're on every day next week. We're playing excerpts of the Republican National Convention. Hey, you know what? I just realized I'm I'm traveling next week for a little bit. I think I might head up north, but we'll we'll figure out a way to do it. We'll bring you the highlights. We'll do it. No matter how we do it, we'll do it. Yes. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. All right, folks. Um, take care. We're going to sign off here off the Coast to Coast show. Ebony and I'm Ivory. Duh! Spit it out. Blah. Stop drinking so much margarita. The Ebony oh, and Ivory show. Point. Lloyd Booker was on earlier. He departed. He left us. It's Cornell and I right now having a blast here. Finishing yes. up the show. Wrapping up the week from a long week of DNC uh, convention highlights. And God, we played about the whole convention all week long. And that was great to do, and it leaves you the links. If you missed any of it, it leaves you – just go ahead and hit any of our links the whole week, and you can hear any part. Fast forward, rewind, hear what you want to, cut out who you want to, and uh, and pick up the highlights on your own. We did as a courtesy to our listeners here on the Coast to Coast Show. We're doing the same thing with the Republican Convention next week. That being said, let's go. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Take care. Hey, good night to you, Cornell. You too, brother. Best Thanks everybody up. in Philadelphia. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.